This week, lots of enterprise security news from Threat Quotient announces a new partnership. Uh, CypherLock announces a technology alliance. Bromium completes its secure platform for endpoints. RiskSense supports MSSPs. Cloud Passage announces an interesting integration. Uh, Shavlik announces uh, some stuff for Microsoft uh, System Security Center, uh, SCCM. And Risk IQ deepens digital threat mitigation capabilities. Uh, our interview for this week is Jane Grohl and Alan Schimmel to talk about DevOps. All that and more on this edition of Enterprise Security Weekly. This is a Security Weekly production. This episode of Enterprise Security Weekly is brought to you by IT Pro TV, an easy, entertaining approach to online IT training. Access over 2,000 hours of up-to-date, high-quality video content live and on-demand via Chromecast, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, PC, or your mobile device. IT Pro TV's premium membership grants access to all courses, transcripts, virtual machine labs, and transcender practice exams. Corporate and group pricing are available. For a free seven-day trial and 30% off the life of your account, visit itpro.tv forward slash enterprise security and use the code ES30. Are you worried about PCI compliance? Does your development team understand or care about security? Are you ready to face a breach of your customer's sensitive data? See the worst that can happen before it does. Black Hills Information Security can help you help management see the future. Email consulting at blackhillsinfosec.com to find out how a web application penetration test can mitigate the risk before you go live. Tenable Network Security, creators of Nessus, the world's best vulnerability scanner. Jumpstart your security program today and evaluate Security Center CV, the continuous security monitoring solution. For more information, visit them on the web at tenable.com. Pony Express, check out their line of penetration testing devices, including the Pone Pad, the Pone Phone, and the Pone Pro. For enterprises, there's Pone Pulse, providing continuous visibility into wired, Wi-Fi, and Bluetooth spectrums across all physical locations, including remote sites and branch offices. For all those hard-to-reach places, there's Pony Express. Visit them on the web at PonyExpress.com. Welcome. Hey, there I am. Welcome, everyone, to Enterprise Security Weekly. I'm your host, Paul Asadorian, broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island on the lines via Skype from Rapid City, Mr. John Strand. Welcome, John. See, I was worried there for a second that I was going to have to run the show by myself, and I'd basically be just saying, it sucks, it's crap, don't buy it, for like <laughs> half an hour. Right. Um, so I'm glad you're here to help keep things straight. I am. I'm here with some uh, pretty awesome announcements, too. First up, we got IT Pro. They've got updated course material in Cybersecurity Analyst Plus, CCNA, Cyber Ops, and ITIL Operations Support. Um, all memberships are being upgraded uh, as of February 1st. Go to itpro.tv forward slash hacknaked. Use, uh, actually, forward slash enterprise security and use the code ES30 to save 30% off for life. Um, get out and vote your, for your favorite security blogs and 
podcasts. Uh, Security Weekly has been nominated for the 2017 RSA Social Security Awards Best Security Podcast. It's a mouthful. Cast your vote today by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash vote, which will take you to the survey monkey that you can go fill it out. And, well, I mean, vote for us, obviously, is what we're what we're saying selfishly. Um, not so selfishly, I have some uh, upcoming conferences that you, yes, you, the listener, should be attending because they're awesome and we have awesome discount uh, codes and uh, discount percentages and discount amounts for both conferences. I will be presenting at both conferences, one of uh, three different kinds of talks. Uh, So the first one is InfoSec World, April 3rd through the 5th in Orlando, Florida. Tons of great talks, not just mine, but tons of great talks. Uh, Security Weekly listeners get 10% off by using the code OS17-SW. You can find out more at infosecworld.misti.com. That's M-I-S-T-I.com. Also, source... What was that discount code again? It was OS17-SW. OS17-W. Got it. SW, yes. Uh, Source Boston will be held April 24th through the 27th in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, for training and awesome talks. Use the code SECURITYWEEKLY and get $100 off either a conference ticket or one of the awesome trainings. You can find out more at SourceConference.com. Also, there is a charity event I want to make everyone aware of. Uh, shave, uh, sh- uh, attend the Shaves That Saves. That's really hard to say, apparently, today. Shaves That Save at RSA Wednesday, February 15th, 6 to 8 p.m. Watch security industry folks shave their heads for charity. I am kind of, like, disqualified because I already, like, shaved my head. I guess I could just go there and get a haircut. That Anyway, if it made people donate, you should donate because all the proceeds benefit benefit St. Baldrick's Foundation and Organization Support. Supporting life-saving children's cancer research. You can find out more by visiting the link in our wiki at wiki.securityweekly.com or just doing some careful uh, Google searching for that. Or if you're at RSA, just you know, show up where it is uh, on February 15th. It's in somewhere in Marsconi. Wait, anyway, if you really want to attend, just contact us. We'll tell you how to get there. Uh, so those are the announcements, John. On to the enterprise security news for this week. Threat Quotient has an announcement, a partnership with Soprasteria. I just love this name, John. Never heard Sopra- of Soprasteria. Soprasteria? Sopra- I think it's Soprasteria. Soprasteria. Uh, a threat- it sounds like a girl that would have turned me down when I asked for a date years yeah, ago. Probably. She's like Italian or something, right? <laughs> Both the first name and the last name ended in a vowel. Yeah. That just automatically yeah. disqualifies you, John. <laughs> I don't know why, but it just does. Um, so, threat quotient threat. Uh, so, the, uh, let's see, someone from, no, from threat quotient says, and I'm, I want you to hear this, John, because I want to hear the hysteria that will ensue afterwards. A threat intelligence platform helps C-level executives to integrate security operations feedback into their risk analysis and strategic planning activities. He goes on to say companies need more and more intelligence-driven services like threat intelligence platforms. He strongly believes that classical managed SOC offers will disappear in the new, new near future and be replaced by intelligence-driven SOC offerings focused on threat, defense, and fighting adversaries. Wow. We can stop reading the rest of this article right there. Um, <laughs> all right. 
so, so, all right. So the threat intelligence platform, I, I believe that more information is better than less information. I think the big thing with this particular merger, uh, that's basically these two companies working with each other as far as a partnership, is important because we have actually seen where European companies get attacked in different ways by different threat actors right. than the United States companies. And you have companies that are global in nature. So I think that that's good for these companies and basically trying to kind of combine the threat information, the threat intel that they're actually seeing. Now, I still think that the vast majority of threat intelligence feeds are complete crap, um, and it really doesn't talk too much as far as orchestrating that information into um, into your day-to-day DevOps, your security operation. But the idea that this, this, this concept of threat intelligence is going to replace the SOC is absolutely and utterly insane. Um, I, I would. This would be one of those things I would absolutely love. What's the guy's name? Anthony, I think was his name. Yeah, I mean, and I've I've spoken to to threat quotient uh, in the past, and I think that uh, this particular quote is doing them somewhat of a disservice, John. They fully it understand. Is. They understand. I've spoken with them, right? They understand the limitations of just threat intelligence feeds and their product, uh, very similar to our sponsor, Threat Connect. Right, is uh, mm-hmm. looking to branch out and allow organizations to use threat intelligence data more effectively. I think that's what this article should have highlighted better. Focused. Yeah, yeah, focused on that. Because Threat Quotient yeah. is, I think Marty Resch is on their board of directors. So, I mean, they're doing some some smart stuff uh, at Threat Quotient. Um, and, of course, Threat Connect is doing awesome things as well. I think both these companies kind of fit into that uh, mindset of stepping outside of the bounds of just, oh, we're just going to give you threat intelligence feed. And we've seen some awesome examples from Threat Connect uh, of that yeah. as well. So. And and I and I think that quotes like that, whenever you're like, our product is so awesome, it's going to replace everything in your security operations center. Is there's no one that listens to that? Um, so it's just you know, we, a lot of times we rip on the marketing noise. So I, I think if we're looking at this, if we're scoring it, I think the kind of the the partnership between these two companies is good for both of them, without question, because now they can start trying to compete on more of a global scale. Number one, number two, the marketing propaganda. Clearly, the person that puts this together needed a quote. Anthony threw yeah. together a crappy quote that had nothing to do with the actual partnership, and uh, it kind of does the entire thing in service. Agreed. So um, we're not really we're not knocking threat quotient by any stretch. We're absolutely saying to take a look no, at them. We're, and, just knocking, we're just knocking what one guy said. Right. <laughs> we kind of we have an unfair advantage with that uh, as we read some of these articles, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. So this one is really interesting, John. So CypherLock, that's S-Y-F-E-R, CypherLock, announces uh, a technology alliance with OpenIAM, right? That's the open source identity access management uh, solution. And CypherLock makes essentially, it's a token without being a token, right? It's a a one-time password slash pin generation that happens in software. Uh, They claim to do it in a way that will protect against the bad guy snooping in on it. So it's, uh, according to them, impervious to something like a keystroke logger, right? So you have to click. Um, I mean, there's ways around that too, but they claim to have protections. To generate these one-time paths without having to issue a hardware token uh, is the advantage. And they've announced integration with an open source uh, IAM. I think this is a good thing. John, I don't know how much experience you have with software-based OTP solutions. Absolutely. And whenever we're looking at software-based solutions, it's really kind of becoming the norm. Um, You used to have tokens like the RSA tokens, and you still have them quite regularly. Uh, But now you have soft tokens that you can run on your phone, you can run on your computer, you can run anywhere. We're seeing those more and more and more with customers that we actually work with. And I want to make it very clear that if you're looking at your security architecture, you're trying to figure out how you can actually take a step up. We have two things. We're going to talk about Bromium today, but also this. Doing two-factor authentication, something that ties in with an open-source identity and access um, 
um, management model is, is really, really cool. Um, two-factor authentication stops a lot of attacks, not all attacks, but mm-hmm. it stops a very good number of attacks, and it really takes that, that human stupidity um, a little bit out of the equation. You can never completely remove human stupidity, but you can take that human stupidity of someone coming up with a password of winter 2017, and it, it helps mitigate that overall risk. So if you're trying to balance out what it is you're going to do, this is one of those steps forward that would be a massive improvement to the overall security of your organization. And the fact that it's open with open IAM is great. And I think it's just a good good approach. What I think is interesting, Paul, and I want to get your opinion on this, mm-hmm. is how the hell do you get market differentiation in this space? If you look at companies that are out there, you've got Google Authenticator, which mm-hmm. is free, and you've got other solutions, of course, all over the place, and, and SafeLock, SaferLock is one of them. How do you actually differentiate in this marketplace? It seems like it's gotten almost to the point of being a commodity, and you've got to come up with weird tricks to be able to differentiate. Or do you think that there is still room for somebody to step up with like next-generation two-factor authentication tokens? Yeah, I, I think it, uh, the major thing is going to be the integrations and technology alliances. Like That's why they're making a big deal about this, right? They're trying to gain market share and gain some differentiation against maybe other solutions that don't have an integration into OpenIM, right? So that's I think yeah. that's, that's the first thing. I don't think the like overall security level of software-based OTPs is really playing a major factor. I don't think it's really how you differentiate yourself. I think it's more about integrations and user experience, right? Like, does it yeah. balance good enough security with a good user experience to provide that extra level of security at a, a low cost. And I think they're trying to carve out the market where companies don't issue a hardware token because it's just too expensive and too much maintenance. Mm-hmm. And you also run into a problem of what happened with RSA. Whenever RSA was hacked years ago, um, all those hardware-based tokens, I don't want to say they were rendered ineffective, but they were now very, very, very suspect. If you have a software-based token, yep. it actually makes it easier for your company, if you're, a, if you're an identity and access management company, to actually push out a patch or push out new seed files without having to sh- have everybody shift their tokens in or ship out new ones. Exactly. So it's just a good approach. Agreed. Um, Bromium, I, I think you're a fan of Bromium. Is that correct, John? I love Bromium, and the reason why I like Bromium is two things. One, I really feel like it's an underdog. Um, and the other reason is Simon, uh, one of the founders of, of Bromium, is a geek, complete through and through, absolute geek. Um, if you talk to him, he doesn't really talk much about business management, doesn't talk much about financials. He's always talking about the technology. And he, he isn't afraid to actually get into the math behind um, these different things. And that's awesome. And they mentioned, the it's I, funny you say that, you say that, John, they actually mentioned the uh, the mathematical equation that they were basing their stuff on what is it called you probably know what it is oh the byzantine uh, yeah. model yeah yeah that yeah yeah <laughs> okay um, <laughs> so that makes sense sorry so 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 i love that i love the company for that and also they have a product that is basically unflinchingly into uh, doing the right thing as far as making their customers secure with their Bromium instances for the applications that they're protecting. So the way I understand I, it, it's a high-level micro-VM. You run all your stuff in the micro-VM, and the micro-VM gives you security and separation from the rest of the system. And all for, uh, with this uh, announcement, they were also touting security that comes along with that micro-VM 
in other words, if uh, you're managing now all of the the VMs, which is was part of the announcement, that when one of them does something bad, it reports that and then correlates that and sees if any one of the other VMs did something bad. Uh, and since they're yep. in such a controlled environment, you can really tune in on what's bad. I, I like that. I like that a lot, actually. And, and the big problem with Bromium, and I personally don't think it's a problem because I'm a security person, person and Mordak is my favorite creature in Gilbert Comics. But a lot of people that implement Bromium don't like it very much simply because of how restrictive it actually is. Right. Um, users can't run, you know, various weird plugins. They can't, you know, sometimes copying and pasting is difficult depending on the application that you're using. And at some point we got to step back and say, do we even care about that. Now, if you're looking at like teller machines in, in banks, or you're looking at cash register machines, or somebody that does something with a job that they work with one application and they just do it all day long, mm. especially in highly secure environments, Bromium's the way to go. Um, it, is a, it is a fantastic platform, but it's also not as flexible in letting people do whatever the hell they want. But that's, they made their choice. They said they wanted to be kind of the application whitelisting, lock down the system as much as possible, and don't flinch, and they do that. And uh, if you get a chance, you got to sit down and talk to Simon. He's just a trip to watch talk. Awesome. Uh, RiskSense is supporting managed security service providers. Um, so uh, the, they are the pioneer and market leader in proactive cyber risk management. Uh, they announced RiskSense uh, 7.0. The major update in this one is a multi-client dashboard uh, that enables MSSPs to deliver this to their clients, which is a business move being put in place by a lot of different uh, software security vendors, and I think very smartly so. Why, you know, we've talked about this model before, John. You know, why yep. sell to every individual company when you can sell to one MSSP and have them resell it, essentially, uh, for you? So I think this is a... A good move by risk sense. Um, I find it interesting that they're still kind of preying on the gap that is left by vulnerability management, um, mm -hmm. which I, I largely I think should be closing, uh, although I'm not as close to it as I once was. Um, but that gap was really closing. I mean, they can, the advantage with the MSSP model is they can look across now all of their customers and say, these are the top vulnerabilities, these are the top malware, these are the top exploits, and deliver that back to all of their customers in a sanitized form. I think that's really cool. Uh, I think other solutions you know, from other vendors could probably do the same thing. So I don't see a lot of differentiation with uh, the RiskSense uh, platform. No, it almost. I wanted to kind of mention the same thing. Do you remember almost a year ago when we started doing this? How this was a thing. We we saw this with a ton of vendors with MSSP and integrations. We saw it again and again and again, and then it just kind of died. Mm. And now it's kind of popped up. It it really does feel like Risk Sense is kind of chasing previous you know previous buzzwords um, and not really keeping up. And that may be a good thing, right? They may be focusing on the things that matter, not necessarily chasing the, the buzzword du jour. But, uh, but no, the MSSP thing, if there's one group of people in security that need help, it's MSSPs, just simply because they suck so bad at what they do. So anything that gives them better visualization and better data from their customers is a good thing in my book. And uh, I think it's a valid question. If you're getting an MSSP, to basically get a tour and say, I'd like to see your multi-client dashboard. I'd like to see how you're actually aggregating all this information across all of your different com customers and viewing it. I'm not saying that RiskSense is the answer, but I think that the problem that they address in this particular release is a real problem that needs to be addressed, whether it's with this yeah, product or something. I think it's a bigger problem in the SMB and, and mid-market that are going to go to an MSSP. 
I think largely enterprises have started to figure this out. And I think they're either using the right combination of management tools, vulnerability management, uh, you know, SIM or in analytics to figure out this problem, or they're writing some of their own to solve this problem. But I think that the mid-market and the SMBs are still struggling with, like, how do I prioritize? How do I know, you know, what needs attention and what doesn't when I get these scans back? Uh, and enabling the MSSPs to serve that market, I think, is a great play for the industry. Now, this one I kind of file like in my nifty file. So Cloud Passage announces uh, Slack integration. So essentially this means like you can manage all of your cloud instances and, and various things in a Slack channel and like get reports no, inside no. of a Slack channel. I don't, I, don't think it, I don't think that's what it means. I, uh, um. it, it is what it means. There's a, there's a blog post. That's what it means. I'm serious. I think with the information, I don't think you can actually manage systems through Slack. I think you can get information and poll. Hold on, hold on. There's a blog post on Cloud Passage. I, I think you're bots. right. I think the it's bots, the bots connect in and they yeah. can notify people on the Slack channel. Yeah, it is. It's 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 not actually sending out configuration. That's actually what I was reading the post for because I thought that'd be pretty cool. But yeah, you yeah. basically get information and alerts, so you can query the the database, uh, list all your servers, and list the health of your servers. Yeah, it doesn't actually let you send stuff out like you're programming inside the Slack channel. I think that'd be awesome. Anyway, I, I think it's, it's awesome nifty. because, you know, we're, we're old. Remember whenever people first started talking about Slack and you and I were like, but we have IRC. Oh. Uh, <laughs> we need Slack. Um, but uh, we've actually, we use Slack quite a bit for non-customer related communication at BHIS. And it's been weird how quickly it's kind of like taken over BHIS. And it really does help with communication. That's just kind of where the team is. It's where they're talking. They're on different Slack channels and it, and it works really, really well. I still look at it and I'm like, I like IRC from the command line just fine. And there's actually plugins that you can get IRC clients to connect into Slack. Yes. Channel. Yeah, we do that. <laughs> we have an internal Slack channel. Uh, we do the yep. IRC integration and we do Giphy. Giphy is very important yep. if you're using Slack. I haven't yep. yet figured out any of the other integrations that uh, can help you build your team and really been able to implement them. I think there are use cases, maybe in a DevOps, uh, you know, we explore that in our, our interview uh, on this show, but there are other integrations that are kind of interesting, and I've yet to really figure them out and make them useful for the organization, but I know there are people that are, you know, groups that are using it effectively. They're monitoring a Twitter feed or a Facebook feed or some support email, and that's coming into Slack, and it is le letting them uh, collaborate. This could be something that you might want to use for incident response as well. It definitely has the, uh, the right architecture for that collaboration and being able to integrate different things into a central channel. I think it would be really good to look at for incident response. I'd question the security of it in an incident response scenario. In other words, if the attackers have taken over your Slack channel, they can suppress messages and disrupt your response uh, to their attack. So that's certainly something to consider. But uh, again, it's nifty. And we like and we like Cloud Passage. I can vouch for them. Yeah, they have absolutely. a really good security model. Uh, but also, the Slack thing is interesting um, for two two other reasons. It's like number one, this is kind of replacing Paul the concept of a, a security operations center, right? Where you have a bunch of different screens up front, and yeah. everyone's like watching all these screens. Now you have like these little Slack bots that come in, and then they pop up little warnings to everybody, and that's cool, right? Because it becomes very easy to ignore the screen in the corner, and mm -hmm. it also kind of reminds me. Do you remember uh, Snortbot? Yeah. From years ago. 
Yeah, where you'd be playing, I can't remember, it was like Team Fortress, and every time you shot someone, uh, basically it printed out an IDS alert at the bottom of the screen. Um, so it's just kind of an interesting way of keeping people interested in alerts that are popping up in your environment. So yeah. I think it's cool, and the people at Cloud Passage are ninjas. We love them dearly. Uh, Shavlik has announced uh, some features that allow you to... I th- of course, I'm getting an internal server server error. Yeah, I'm getting that too. We should probably not talk about this because it's been pulled down. Yeah, that's interesting. Oh. Well, my whole question was, uh, and maybe we answer this on a future show, was when Shavlik announces uh, these features, what does it give you above and beyond what the built-in Microsoft tools can already do for you? That was my question. Yeah. And we just, now we won't know because... I actually did spend time <laughs> and trying to find uh, appropriate links for each of these stories, John, because sometimes we but get a press release. Go down. Yeah, well, we get a press release and it just it doesn't say much. So you can do some Google search and you can find the actual announcement or a blog post, uh, as was the, the case with Cloud Passage, because they're awesome. They have that, right? Um, and it w- I did that. And of course, now we still get errors. <laughs> they're probably like, oh my God, we're going to be on Enterprise Security Weekly. Pull down everything. Pull it, pull it down. Shut it down. Uh, another risk company, Risk IQ, uh, has uh, completed the acquisition of Macabim, and I, I can't, for the <laughs> life of me, figure out what that is. See, because, I pronounced it Macabane, like the the Simpsons guy, McBane, <laughs> Macabane. <laughs> it's, I think Mac-a-bane. it's Macabim, Macabim. Um, is it malvertising, spear phishing? I, I just, I can't. Because the Macabim resources it, all like redirect to Risk IQ, so I'm not quite sure what they do. There's a bunch of it, marketing stuff in here. I'm not sure what the acquisition actually like, gained them. It Macabim sounds like the next evolution of twerking. Oh. Um, so Macabim oh. offered online project management system to facilitate threat data, legal case, and takedown processes. Interesting. Huh. Interesting. Right. I can see that. I mean, Risk IQ, I believe, does a similar thing to Risk sense right so that was when i worked at university a big integration right because security events what was dubbed as security events took different forms so if you know there was a case uh that required uh an investigation from law enforcement that was a security incident if there was an investigation from another organization's legal department right that was a security incident if it involved some kind of digital property uh like uh the DCMA and all that kind of stuff in colleges and universities was big, probably still is. Uh, so those will all be classified as incidents. So it, it makes sense. Uh, you would see stuff on your dashboard. And a lot of times it's interesting. Those kind of more like legal takedown notice kind of things could intersect with a security incident, right? The classic age-old example, it's like some of the first examples of hacking ever on the internet is someone would find an open FTP server and put a bunch of wares on it, right? And we'll put a bunch of copyrighted material on it. And then the copyright owner would be like, you guys are distributing this. And we're like, oh, it was really because something was hacked. And that, that of course, still happens today. So mm-hmm. I think it's where we see that intersection. That's all I had, John. Very cool. And anything else? No, no. I mean, we got the we got kind of the usual things. Uh, the show's coming up tonight. Uh, who, who do we have on the show? What are we covering tonight on uh, Full Security Weekly? That's a good question. I forgot. Yeah. Hold on. But more importantly, oh more importantly, yeah, it was. We, uh, have, we uh, have something coming up the eighth or the ninth. The ninth. February. 9th February. Yeah. 
the nice we're gonna uh, bring a bunch of people here in, in the studio for the day to hang out and then we're gonna do a, a regular two-hour show and it's gonna be our episode 500 of security weekly and the uh, esteemed panel will consist of a bunch of uh, cast and characters a lot of which you'll recognize we're trying to get 12 people in studio to be on the show at the same time we figured out that logistically we might be able to mic up 12 people to be on the what? show at the same time yes 12 people how, how what i know good question we're still figuring that out we're hoping that we're going to be able to pull it off on camera and you know on mic 12 people there'll be liquor and air conditioning so we're going to be okay and there and will be we, and if i remember correctly paul you have plenty of lube plenty of lube will fit people in yep it won't be a problem and um i think one of the topics that uh, jeff actually suggested was we talk about the the state of pen testing as one of the subjects i'm basically just going to do two big one hour uh, discussions because I mean it's going to take oh, a half an hour to introduce everyone <laughs> so I don't know it might just be one big long segment <laughs> and we well, might just it, get get through pen testing and that's it <laughs> the the big thing that I would like to ask is so far do we think Jack's going to be there yes awesome and I know Joff and myself are coming um, so I, we're really most of the security that. weekly crew will be there I know Carlos uh, was questionable at this time as was uh, Michael Santarcangel, I think, is uh, confirmed. Um, so it, it might just be Carlos in terms of hosts. Uh, you may see a previous host that uh, people request quite often come back on the show, Allison Nixon. Might be making an appearance. You'll just have to wait and see for we, that. We need to hire her. I, I <laughs> Well, you know, we'd to have to Allison we'd have to steal her from like five years now. I, well, we have to steal her from Flashpoint. Um, She's pretty happy there, so good luck with that. Yeah, I know. That's hard. That's hard. But we miss her. We do. Awesome. Thanks, John. Thanks, everyone, for listening and watching uh, to this segment. Stay tuned. We've got an interview coming up next.